will be reading from Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 8 and 15 to 25. You can follow along in your Bibles. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. But the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, And no plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth. And there was no man, and there is no man to work the ground, but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had, he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And then we'll jump to verse 15. Uh, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man... You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib... He had taken out of the man, and he brought her to him. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Well, I invite you to, if you need a Bible, to just put up your hand real quickly, and uh, one of our team, Frontlines team, will, get, will uh, bring you one this morning. And uh, this is an opportunity, too, that if, you have, um, if you've been coming out for a few weeks, uh, maybe even like uh, three or four weeks, um, and you have been coming out to the reunion gathering, but have not yet uh, checked out uh, one of our scattered gatherings during the week, um, I w- would I invite you now to, to really think about this week. Uh, we don't really have 
uh, a meal plan or a meal program or people inviting people to meals. But we have eight or nine meals that happen throughout the week. And would you just go to the Welcome Center after the service, grab a card, and uh, connect with one of our leaders, and just go and have a dinner with some people. You might say, I'm ready to just even just to meet some more people in the church. And this is an, an awesome way to get started in your uh, connection at, here at Church of the City, to get started on one of, our, one of our meal nights. So you can go to the Welcome Center after the service and connect uh, with us there. We're going to begin with a series on vocation. Pastor Matt's away right now. He's taking his sabbatical before the baby comes. Uh, him and Andre are s- slipped away before uh, a couple weeks before the, where they're expecting the baby. And so uh, we're going to start a series today, and then Pastor Matt's going to continue a couple weeks here as well. But we're calling this series Vocation. And if I ask you today what your vocation is or was in your life, you would probably tell me about your job. That's what, it, that's what you would usually say if I asked you, what, you you'd tell me what, what you did for your living. But the word vocation is really an interesting word. It's a, it's a word that uh, has Christian foundation. It comes out of the Latin, and it means a calling or summons. And uh, it's something that you were called to, a particular course of action. How many of you in this room today see your job as something that you have been called to do? That you're called to do your job? You know, sometimes we just go, and I, I, just, I just show up. I'm just hoping for the, I'm hoping the paycheck comes at the end of the, end of the two weeks. That in this series, we're going to talk about, over seven weeks, a number of questions around work. But today, I'm going to start with a task. My task isn't to answer every question about work. It's not to tell you all the things that are good and bad about work, but it's really to set a foundation, a foundation that we're going to build off of for the next six weeks. It's a theology. If we're going to think about a theology of work. And our prayer and our hope is that if you will understand that God desires to show up and to work in your nine to five as much as he does in reunion. Do you know that? God desires to show up and to show off in your work as much as he does in a worship service. So why do we talk about work? Why should we? Why should we even devote seven weeks? That's a big chunk of time during, in, a, in, in 52 weeks in a year. Why would we spend that many weeks talking about it? Well, one reason is the Bible talks a lot about work. So that's something we should, we should take seriously. But here's the other point. Is that it is, work is something that you're going to spend a significant amount of your life doing. You're going to spend a huge amount of your life in jobs. Think about this. If you spent 30.39.2 hours a week which is kind of the average of what uh, a work week would look like. If you spent 39.2 hours a week at work for 47 weeks of the year, and you were blessed, because that means you got five weeks of vacation. And that's not like the norm for everyone. But if you got five weeks of vacation a year, that meant you, you spent 47 weeks a year. And if you actually worked from the age of 18 to, to 67, you're going to spend 92,000 hours of your life at work. Now, for some of you, that's a joy. Some of you, that's depressing, right? 
But you, so, and some of you are going to work less than that. You're going to, your schooling is going to take much longer than 18. Uh, you're not going to start by 18. But if you live to 76 years old, if you live to 76 years old, that means that you spend 21% of your waking hours. We took eight hours of, of uh, time out every night for, for sleep. Okay? But 21% of your life is spent working. And while you're in the midst of work, if you talk about pre-retirement, 35% of your work, of, of your waking hours, is spent at work. Over one-third of your life. And so why is it vital to talk about work? Well, depending on, on where you are in this room, whether you're embarking on your work life or you're sort of in the middle of it, Shouldn't we care about how we're going to spend a huge chunk of our time? And if God says that we're stewards, not just of money, but of the time that he gives to us on this earth, isn't it important for us to think biblically about, a, about something that you are going to spend a third of your life doing? I think it's an incredibly important topic for us today. This should matter to us. Even if you don't Say, I'm, I'm a follower of Christ here this morning. How you spend your time on this world is important. And even so, this, this sermon series is important because there's a common unifier for us as, as a church. That most of us in this room are going to work in our lives. You're going to hold jobs. And if our identities are truly as missionaries... If we are missionaries in our lives, that means that each one of us has a common mission and a unique mission field, our workplaces. So that's another reason why this series uh, is important. But I would say to you, this is a proposal, that one of the most important reasons to think about work is that we have to recapture this, um, this word, vocation. We have to think about what it means for us to be called or summoned to. What does it mean for us to discover our calling in this life? How many, how many of you want to have purpose in your work? Okay? How many of you want it? Okay? Let's see those hands. How many of you are lying if you don't want purpose in your work? You just, I, I, I just, uh, I, you want to show up to something that you care about. I remember being frustrated. I spent six years as a heat, heating and cooling salesperson, okay? That was my, that was my job that kind of paid my way through school. Uh, I uh, swept floors for about six months, and then they realized this guy could talk. Uh, and so he's not very good at the warehouse stuff, so let's put him on the floor and see if he can sell stuff uh, to people. So that's, what I, that's how I got into the, into the field of, of this work. But I really would say that I put in a lot of time during those six years. Because I believed that I was just putting in time till I got to my real calling. After a little while, I knew that I thought God had something for me. I think I'm supposed to be a pastor. So I felt like I put in time for those six years. And I think to my detriment, I separated the work into like sacred and secular thought. Like that stuff's just like, my, the secular work, and I'm really waiting around till I can do the sacred, sacred work. This is good. I want to say, church, that it's so easy for us to disconnect purpose from our work. 
And it was really easy for us, to, and we miss it on this, that God's heart is that we would find his glory in common work, in serving the good of people around us. I want, Robert Bella, in his book, Habits of the Heart, he talks about this, and I want to I read a quote to you. He helps us name the one thing that's eating away at our uh, cohesiveness of our culture. I'm talking about uh, Western culture. It's a cohesive, it's a, it's a thing called expressive individualism. Our Western culture has elevated individualism to such a level that there really is a, a struggle to find shared life together. We, there's no commanding truths or values that tie us together as a, as a whole culture. Try to ask a Canadian what does it mean for us to be Canadian. And it's, it's not one thing. We struggle to find our, what does it mean for us as values and things that tie us together. And hockey just doesn't cut it as a, a wide cultural birth. Although some of you might disagree with that. And at the end of his book, Robert, though, he talks about this. He, ta- he says this. He talks about one measure that will help us into reintegrate balance into us, into our lives in thinking about this. Listen to this. To make a real difference, to make a real difference, there would have to be a reappropriation of the idea of vocation or calling, a return to a new way, in a new way, to an idea of work as a contribution to the good of all and not merely as a means to one's own advancement. And so, three things there about why we're not going to talk about, but why this sermon series, I hope, is just going to be a powerful blessing to your heart, why it's going to be helpful for your lives, and why it's vital for us to talk about together. And so let's set up the series by beginning with God. And if you turn with me back to what we, we heard about this morning, Genesis 2, and we begin with God, and that's always the best place to start. And and we say, in the beginning, at the very beginning of the Bible, it says, in the beginning, what? God created, created, right? In the beginning, God, okay? But we could also say, that's that's the right answer, in the beginning, God created. But we could also say, in the beginning, there was work. Because God begins to create, and, this, and the, the word is actually described as God begins to work in creation. And the Bible talks about work almost right away. How important and how basic it is. Genesis 1 brings us in an account of, of the God's work of creation out of nothing. Ex nihilo. That's, that's what it says. It, that God takes the darkness and the chaos and he brings it into order. Increasing order over seven days. The intervention of God in the, into the cosmos is depicted in really a form of a seven-day work week. Or maybe we stole it from, that, from God. Six days of work and, and one day of Sabbath, of rest. And so this is the, the backdrop to Genesis 2, the, the scripture passage that Christine's just read. God works, God rests. And verse 5 
here tells us that God waits. Did you, read, did, you, did you see that? That God waits before he brings rain to this earth. Before he allows plants to grow until what? There was a worker available. He brings, he, he, he postpones Rain until he creates a man named Adam, the pinnacle of his creation, because in all of the goodness that is creation, this is the only creation piece that God says, This is what I made in my own image. And Adam begins the task of stewarding the earth. He names the animals. What a bit of a fun job! Uh, a long, long job. Think about how many animals there are. He's got this job that's huge. And maybe that's why, you know, Eve comes along. His better half joins him in the job of taking care of this paradise. And this is what uh, theologians, if you study, if you want to re- read it all, they'll call this the work of providence. You know, we, we're reading this book uh, called, uh, a lot of the speakers of this series are going to be reading a book called Every Good Endeavor. And this book talks about, Tim Keller ta- describes this idea of this providence very well. That God creates human beings and then he works for them as his provider, as their provider. He creates them and then he works and after he creates the man, the garden, and the, and, and the wife, the rest of the Bible tells us how he gives food to all that he's made, how he gives help to those who suffer, how he cares for the needs of every living thing. And so we hear this, in the, and we see the, in the Psalms, in, in Psalm 145, we, this, this, the author brings it out in, in the praise of the Lord. Listen to this. He says this, The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up those who have been bowed down. All the, the eyes of all work look to you. You give them their food in their due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. Now, the funny thing about paradise is that in our culture, uh, um, the cultural perception of paradise is a heavenly realm where it's a place of floating clouds, and we all just sit around on those clouds, and we might eat bagels with cream cheese um, and, and all these things. But that's the sort of the commercialized perception. But the paradise described here in Scripture is one of beauty, and it's also one where the world requires someone to, to tend it. It's because it, it's kind of it's chaotic. It, it needs care. It needs to be taken from chaos to increasing order. And it is God the provider who calls his, creach, his creation, his creatures, to do that kind of good work. And what's this supposed to say to us? It's supposed to say this, that work in God's original design is, is something that is, uh, has good and valuable purposes. That work is, is neutral, but that in God's design there are good and valuable purposes and that God himself engages in good work. And clearly, though, if we were to look at the other side of it, we can look around the world today and we can see that there is a, another side to the story, that there's works of evil. And through the work of Satan, in the rebellion of God, but that doesn't change this fact. 
that God's original design and there is value in engaging in good work. And this truth, it should have ramifications for our lives. It should. It doesn't always. But it should. Because there's a, a logical progression of what I propose to you, some and ideas that can get us thinking in alignment with Scripture about our work. Because if God's original work, if work was a part of God's design for humanity, we could even look at this and say that work is uh, part of what's being, of being human. I'm going to build that out in a few minutes if you disagree with it right off the bat. But that God in work is a necessary part of being human. And the second part of that is if the value of work is really found in, in discovering the freedom that God has to become what God has designed us to be. And so this progression is going to unfold in, in the entirety of the series. I just don't have time today to answer all the questions that come out. But hopefully over the six weeks we're going to answer your questions about why is my work frustrating? Why, why is my work, why don't, I, why don't I have the purpose I, that I want in work? Am I, what's, what's, what, what is God really calling me to do? Uh, is it just to put in work so that I have money to support the real work of missionaries and the church and that kind of thing? And all these questions come up. But today, I want to answer the question of, like, why, what is the purpose of what I'm doing with the one-third of my waking hours? And the first point I want to talk about today that comes out of this scripture is that by working, as if this is God, okay, we're, we're theology, I want, by working, we declare the nature of God as creator, that's his title, and creative, that's his attribute, right? That we declare who he is to the world, and we declare it back to him. And when we speak of work, one of the struggles we face is seeing dignity in all work. That we, in all kinds of work around us, our, our world has separated work into classifications. We, we classify specialized work from menial labor, right? It's not me saying this, it's, it's just this is what we've done. And so we give monetary value to this kind of work, and we say, well, this work is, is, deserves less pay. And so we find the value of a doctor or a CEO to be much higher than the work in our society of a, of a grocery teller or the stay-at-home mom or dad who's raising their kids. And many of us would actually say they despise the work that they do, calling it meaningless. But that's not how, that's not seeing work from the perspective of what we just read about here in the Bible, where we find that work was brought into human story prior to the fall. Understand this, that work was there prior to the fall. To the rebellion. It's part of the blessedness of the garden. And in that moment when Eve takes the fruit in defiance of God and Adam joins her in that rebellion, God announces one of the consequences of that fall. 
And he announces it to Adam in Genesis 3.17. Okay? Let's put up the scripture there. And Adam, he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and you have eaten of the tree of which I have commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all of the days of your life. And if you were to go on, you'd, you'd read about how all of a sudden work becomes labor. That uh, what was a, go- a garden without thorns and thistles began. And all of a sudden you had to weed out all the, uh, all the things that were trying to quench out the good growth. And so work became frustrating. And so I tell you this this morning just to remind us that work itself is not immune, though. In, it's good in, in its original, but it's not immune to the effects of the curse. The brokenness of work is that instead of joy in our work, work can be used for evil, but it can often be so frustrating. It means that work can be used for pur- evil purposes. For example, to work for an arms dealer or a bomb design team, a bomb design team, knowing full well that the product of your hands are going to end up destroying and killing people. This work, this work increases the chaos of this world. Instead of bringing order, it increases chaos. You following me? That the person who takes their intelligence in media and design and uses it to create internet pornography is using it in a way that we could see we could recognize that it is a, an act or work of evil in this world but closer to home we we could say well whew, I'm not uh, glad that's not me I'm not doing any of those things we could even look and say some of us just overwork And we don't take Sabbath at all in our lives. And we make work an idol. And so in two weeks from now, Matt's going to unfold that part more fully. But even all these effects of the curse don't change this truth. That work in God's design for humanity is, I would say, not just something that is good, but it's a need as much as food and rest and friendship are needs in our lives, work can be described as food for our souls. As image bearers of a, of a, of a creative God, we were designed to work and reflect the creativity of God in all kinds of work through a diversity of gifts. Without meaningful work in our lives, we, we struggle. Is it not true? With our identity we we struggle with our time we we struggle with a sense of inner loss and emptiness you know someone who's had a, a debilitating disease or accident in their life one of the greatest struggles that they have to to face in their life is to wake up and and go well i can't work anymore i can't work a job what do i do with my life What's my purpose? It's hard to, to not wake up and not be overcome by depression. 
know, I've seen this in my own family experience. I have a mom who was a nurse who, at, uh, in, the, in her 30s, uh, actually experienced a destructive affliction on her, bo- on her body called fibromyalgia. And over the next 40 years, she's been unable to work a job anymore. Uh, if any of you sort of, it's becoming more known, but it really is. If you do something for any length of time, you suffer incre- increasing pain and tiredness and to the point where you might do something for a few hours and, and then you're laying in bed for the next day with intense pain or, or suffering. And so that's been my mom's experience for the last 40 years of her life. And as a follower of Jesus, one of the battles my mom had to face in this life was not to grow bitter about this, not to grow bitter about her, uh, her lack of ability to work anymore, to her lack of physical activity. She's figured out, though, how to ways to contribute in her days when she's in her, in her weak state. She's learned how to, uh, how to make a meal, and that's a, that's a win for the day. She's learned how to, you know, if you sweep the floor, that was a, that's a great step for the day. But you know what else? It's not just about doing that one little thing. She has become a warrior of prayer for me in my life. She's the one, like, I have other people who pray for me, but she tells me that she prays for me every single day. But there are days when she would tell you that she struggles in feeling productive. I just didn't do anything today. I laid in bed. I didn't make a difference. But I want to tell you that what she's contributed to her family is an example of how you can, you can live in physical pain and still not grow bitter. How you can experience where life doesn't, doesn't, isn't great and yet you can honor God with your life. And I know deep down every day that she's praying for me and that my mom's going to battle for me. And I really think that, like she's going to battle for me in that day. And I want to tell you, some of you here in this room are facing that kind of battle with your physical health. I want you to know this. I want you to hear this, is that your work does not, it's all of us to hear this. Your work does not make you valuable. God does. Can I say it again? Your work does not make you valuable. God makes you valuable. Okay? But God did design us for a need to be productive in our lives. And so he created you in his own image. That your life would increase the order and beauty of this world and not increase chaos. Therefore, even if you have something that prevents you from working the, the 40 hour and getting paid for it, that does not mean that your work, you cannot work for the kingdom. Amen. That you can't work uh, for the good of the kingdom, the good of those around you. And this is for the good of those around you, but it is for your good so that you would thrive spiritually and emotionally and physically.
Dorothy Sayers, she's a renowned crime writer. She asked someone who is seeking to follow Jesus with the, in their life with this important question. She says, what's the Christian understanding of work? And she says this, it is not that work is not primarily a thing. Sorry, it is that work is not primarily a thing uh, one does to live, but the thing one d- lives to do. It is, or it should be, the full expression of the worker's faculties, the medium in which he offers himself to God. And I think if we think about work in this way, there's a, a tremendous implication for how do we see purpose again. And so this is the second thing I want us to focus on today, the second thing that comes out of this, this passage we need to understand that work is an invitation to freedom. Now, you might have trouble buying this one too. That uh, none of us would say that we're, our work is slavery, but that you would, you would not see your work as freedom in your life. I want to try to explain this idea to you a little bit more. And then you can argue with me after. The value of work is not simply found in a, in a finished product like a great table. Okay? I have a friend who makes amazing tables, like the ones that are featured on like Property Brothers or whatever those guys. Like he, he gets his tables and he takes his reclaimed wood and, reclaimed wood and he turns them into these tables that sell for uh, more than I could ever afford. But they're these 18-foot tables. They're amazing. But it's not, the product, the work of his life is not found in a, in a table. It's not found in, if, in a car, if you're a designer of a car, the value of that. It's not found in a set of engineering plans. Lester DaCosta, he talks about this in, in his book, Work, The Meaning of Life. He says this, work is one of the ways in which we discover who we are. Because it's through work that we come to understand our distinct abilities and gifts a major component of our identities. And so to, so to see work in our DNA, to impart is, is to grasp this Christian distinct, this distinct Christian understanding of freedom. Okay? Do you know that there is a, a bit of a distinct Christian understanding of freedom? In Western culture, people like to see freedom as uh, a complete absence of any kind of restraints. That's when you're truly free. If there's no restraints, I'm free. Okay? But Tim Keller writes this in his book, The Reason for God. He says this, Freedom is not so much the absence of restrictions as finding the right ones. Think about a fish. A fish absorbs oxygen from its water, not air. A fish is only free if it's restricted to water. It's less free if it decides to flop out onto the, onto the land. It might think it has complete freedom, but it doesn't. But when it's in water, it is free. It's completely free. But it does, that, it, it, it does it because it honors the reality of its nature. And so when we talk about a fish, a fish, if it doesn't accept that it's a fish, might decide, well, I want to fly. And it, it jumps out, and what happens? Falls back down. Or it flops out on the earth, and what happens? It dies. 
But in our own way, God has called us to restrictions or commands as a means of liberation so that we function in a way that God designed us to be. And that's what I'm, I'm proposing, that when you, when you look at the laws and the commands of Scripture, sometimes there is a, a cosmic killjoy feeling about God. But God knows his best for his people, his creation. And he calls us to live within his command so that it is for our freedom. And when we refuse to live within the commands of Scripture, on top of grieving God, of saddening God, we also choose to act against our own nature as God designs us. And this is where work and freedom intersect. In the beginning, God called us to work. And now he calls us, you and I, to discover our gifts in order to to live out what was part of our design. And so if if I were to ask you what your calling is, one of the first things you say is, well, I guess I need to find out what my gifts are to figure out what my calling is. Why did God put me up? And I'm telling you, friends, this is no burden. This does not have to be a burden. It's actually an invitation to freedom. If we were to truly see God's commands and his restrictions in the proper light. And we hear this invitation. I want to point you to a passage of Isaiah 48. Because he's talking to a disobedient Israel. <laughs> And he says this, Thus says the Lord your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit. You know, another translation says, I teach you for your own good, (laughs) so that you would profit. Who leads you in the way you should go. Oh, that you had paid attention to my commandments. Oh, that you would have listened to me. So he's saying, oh, just listen to me. Then your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Your, your offspring would have been like the sand and your descendants like its grains. Their name would not be cut off or destroyed from before me. And so today, you know, so much more could be said about work. But you know what? My job is to just set it up, Okay. I'm setting us up for the series. But I want you to know that in this series about work, I want to really, really honest and practical and try to hit home on something that I think is a, is a key part of our lives as we, close, as we move to conclusion and communion as we respond today. Because as we said before, most of us in this room are going to be working or have, you have a long career, you hope, in, ahead of you. And I want, to, I want to say something to us. In the gospel, we find a ballast. You know what a ballast is? A ballast is, is like something that stabilizes. You know, on a boat, it's, it's the thing that keeps a, a ship from like going this way. It's a, it's a stabilizer. If you're trying to put a post in, it's, a, it's gravel. It's something that stabilizes. And so the gospel, it stabilizes our work in this way. Because the reality of our professions is that it can take over our identity. 
You know, the great, the great preacher, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he was a doctor who turned preacher. I think his pay went down in the process, okay? But he was a doctor who turned into a preacher. And he, he once described doctors, and he said, and I think this would be so true of our professions today, because there's more than just doctors, that it becomes a part of, it's so encompassing, maybe like in the business world. And he says this, he, see, he looks at the men who were doctors, because in those days there, were, there was really just men, male doctors. And he said to those men, you could take at the end of their lives, you could take their tombstones and put it down, and you could write on it, they were born a man and died a doctor. And what he meant by that was that your job becomes your identity. Not a follower of Christ, not a child of God, but your job becomes who you are. And the only problem with this is that there's no guarantee that you will be able to hold on to your job forever. What happens when your job, if something happens and it's gone? What happens to your identity? And this is a dead end for our lives. Because work was never to be our sole identity. And I'm telling you, in a room of this size, you cannot escape this. Because some of you here today have made your work your sole identity. And I say that in love and not in commendation to you, but that is the reality of your work, that you have become your job. And it is a dead end. You were never intended to make work that. It is a gift. But it was never meant to do this. And if you do this, if you become this, it ceases to be the blessing that God designed it to be. And it will be a curse. Do you know this? It will cease to be the blessing and it will become the curse of your life if your work becomes this way. Because you could lose it or you could give your entire life to it and at the end of it, you'd be like, man, I can't take it with me. And all I'm saying to you is we need to rediscover every single week when we come here our gospel identity that we are in Christ and that we are valuable to God not because of our work. God makes us valuable and that we are valuable because of Christ, His work in our hearts and redeeming us. And this is how work should properly be seen in the light of Scripture. And this is what we're going to talk about for the rest of this rest of this series so I invite you we're going to sing to our good good father now and in this time some of you maybe just need to pray because you've been you know that's who you what I just said there that's you you're either finding dead ends in work or you made work your identity and we have a prayer team that will pray with you now if you need some prayer or here's another part of it we're going to we're going to sing this song and then we're going to come to communion don't go to communion yet don't go to communion yet. But if you want to just during this whole time, if you need prayer as we sing and as we go to communion, come and, and respond to God. Respond to his word. And let's look forward to what God has for us over the next six weeks in talking about our work.